Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, before we start the show, I just want to make you aware that there may be an F-bomb hidden somewhere in this. Somebody dropped it on the earnings call and I think I edited it out. Um, but I'm not 100% sure, so just be aware before you start the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host and we have a very big show for you this week. It is Tesla's Q4 2021 earnings call. Plus Elon gives us an update on the product roadmap. I'm going to be honest with you, the uh, the earnings call starts off a little slow but it picks up towards the end. So let's go ahead and jump into Elon's opening remarks and kind of a review of the product roadmap. Just to recap, uh, 2021. Uh, it was a breakthrough year for Tesla and for electric vehicles in general. And while we battled, uh, and everyone did, w uh, with supply chain challenges through the year, we managed to grow our volumes by nearly 90% last year. This level of growth didn't happen by coincidence. It was a result of ingenuity and hard work across multiple teams throughout the company. Uh, additionally, we reached the highest operating margin in the industry uh, in the last uh, widely reported quarter at over 14% gap operating margin. Uh, lastly, thanks to five and a half million, five and a half billion dollars of million, <laughs> small finger by the mouth, um, uh, five and a half billion dollars of gap net, net income in 2021, our accumulated profitability since the inception of the company became positive, which I think makes us a real company at this point. Uh, this is a critical milestone for the company. So after an exceptional year, we shift our focus to the future. Um, Texas and Berlin. So. We've, we've begun production at both Texas and Berlin. We started that uh, last quarter, uh, but that, that's not the most important thing. Um, we, we focus more on when to get to, to volume production um, and when can we deliver cars to customers. Um, but, but I think it is worth noting that we, uh, and, and as the internet has observed, <laughs> uh, we've, we've, we've been make, making quite a few cars in Texas and Berlin. So uh, in Boston and Berlin. So I, uh, and in Texas, we're building the Model Ys with the structural battery pack and the 4680 cells. And we will start delivering uh, after final certification of the vehicle, which should be fairly soon. Capacity expansion will continue through maximizing output of each factory uh, and building new factories and new locations in the future. 
Um, although we're not ready to announce any new locations on this call, but but we will uh, uh, through 2022 look at new locations and probably be able to announce new locations uh, towards the end of this year, I expect. Um, so, so in 2022, supply chain will continue to be the fundamental limiter of output across all factories. Um, so the uh, the chip shortage, while better than last year, is still still a, an issue. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, th th there are there are multiple supply chain challenges. <laughs> um, and um, last year was difficult to predict, and hopefully this year will be smooth sailing. But it, it, you know, I'm not sure what you do for an encore to 2021, 2020. Um, nonetheless, we, we we do expect uh, significant growth in 2022 over 2021. Um, you know, comfortably above 50% growth in, in 2022. Uh, full self-driving. So over time, we think full self-driving will become the most important source of profitability for Tesla. Uh, it's, um, I mean, actually, if, if you run the numbers on robo taxis, uh, it's, it's kind of nutty. Uh, the, the, it's, it's nutty good for, for, from a financial standpoint. Um, and I think we're completely confident at this point that it will be achieved. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my personal guess is that we'll achieve full self-driving this year. Um, yeah, with with at a safety level significantly greater than than a person. So, um, it it you know the 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 cars in the fleet essentially becoming self driving via software update. I think might might end up being the the biggest uh, increase in asset value of, of any asset class in history. Um, we shall see. Uh, it, will, it will also have a profound impact on improving safety and on accelerating uh, the world towards sustainable energy through vastly better asset utilization. Let's see. So on, on the product roadmap front, there's there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, I'm not going to go through every sort of thing that we're working on because I think a lot of them deserve uh, product launches of their own, uh, as opposed to uh, a few minutes on an earnings call. Um, so I'll talk kind of at a high level. Uh, yeah, mostly at a high level. Um, the The fundamental focus of Tesla this year is scaling output. Uh, so. Um, you know, both last year and this year, if we were to introduce new vehicles, um, our total vehicle output would decrease. This is a very important point that I think people do not, a lot of people do not understand. Um, so last year, we spent a lot of engineering and management resources uh, solving supply chain issues, uh, rewriting code, changing out chips, reducing the number of chips we need. That was chip, chip drama central. Um, and there were not the, that was not the only supply chain issue. So there's just hundreds of, of, of things. Um, and as a result, we were able to grow almost 90% while uh, 
believe almost every other manufacturer contracted last year. So that, that, that's a good result. Um, uh, but but we, if, if we had introduced, say, a new car last year, um, we would a total vehicle output would have, still, would have been the same because of the constraints, uh, the chips constraints particularly. So if, if we'd actually introduced an additional product, uh, that, would, it, that would then uh, require a bunch of attention and resources uh, on that increased complexity of, of the additional product, resulting in fewer vehicles actually being delivered. And the same is true of this year. So, so we will not be uh, introducing new vehicle models uh, this year. It would not make any sense because um, we will still be past constrained. We, we will, uh, however, do a lot of engineering and tooling and whatnot to create those vehicles, as uh, the Cybertruck, Semi, Roadster, um, uh, Optimus, um, and, um, and be ready to bring those to production, hopefully next year. Um, that, that is most likely. Um, but, it, but like I said, it, it is dependent on, did, are we able to produce more cars or fewer cars? Um, so, um, in, in terms of priority of products, I think the, the I think that actually the most important product development we're doing this year is is actually the Optimus humanoid robot. Um, this I think has the potential to be more significant than the vehicle business over time. Uh, if, you, if you think about the economy, it, it is the foundation of the economy is labor. Capital equipment is distilled labor. Um, so what happens if you don't actually have a, a labor shortage? I'm not sure what an economy even means at that point. That's what Optimus is about. So, very important. All right. Sorry if you can hear my piece of paper on that I made notes on here. Sorry about that. Uh, Elon talked about the supply chain issues, which is really no new news there. Uh, no new product production in 2022, which includes the Cybertruck, the Roadster, the Semi, and the Optimist uh, robot, which is the, the Tesla bot that they showed off um, late in 2021. Um, you know what? I don't know that that's a big surprise. No new production announcements or product announcements, excuse me. One of the things that Elon's going to hit on a lot during this conference call is FSD and how optimistic he is about full self-driving, which I think is awesome. Listen, I'm not saying don't be optimistic, uh, but I, I, I would uh, encourage you to have an abundance of enthusiasm with a healthy skepticism attached to that because Elon's been, been talking up full self-driving and thinking that this is going to be the year we do it for not the entire time that I've done this podcast, but pretty close. So I would be really cautious. Like maybe they're gonna make big advancements. Um, 
And maybe they will get to full self-driving by the end of the year. But honestly, my heart's been broken too many times when it comes to that. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into our, our next part of the call here, which is an update on the 4680 battery cells. So throughout 2021, we focused on growing cell supply alongside our in-house 4680 effort uh, to provide us, provide us flexibility um, and insurance as we attempt to grow as fast as possible. Uh, as we sit today, cells from suppliers is actually sort of exceeds our other factory limiting constraints that you mentioned, Elon, um, in 2022. Or to say differently, 4680 cells are not a constraint to our 2022 volume plans based on the information we have. But we are making meaningful progress up the ramp curve in Cato. We're building 4680 structural packs every day, which are being assembled into vehicles in Texas. I was driving one yesterday and the day before. Um, uh, and we believe our first 4680 vehicles um, will be delivered this quarter. Um, our focus on the cell, the pack, um, and the vehicles here is driving yield quality and cost to ensure we're ready for larger volumes uh, this year as we ramp and next year. Um, and the 4680 and pack tool installations here at Kick Austin are progressing well with some areas producing first parts and the internet has also noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I was touring the factory, the cell factory here yesterday. <laughs> I'm, I'm super pumped. It's it's like a really uh, exciting accomplishment for us to bring everything into one awesome factory here in Texas. Absolutely. Um, and, and just to re repeat Crew's point, we, we, are, we, we are still, we still expect to be part or primarily chip limited this year. Um, so uh, that's the thing that's that's actually the, the driver. Um, yeah. And that, that chip limitation should alleviate next year. Um, and then probably we transition into a cell limitation battery. So it's, you know, total gigawatt hours of cell limitation, which is when the 4680 will become very important. Agreed. All right, I think this is amazing news. I'm really glad to hear that they're not cell constrained at the moment, they're chip constrained. But if they had all the chips that they wanted, it sounds like they could be cell constrained. So uh, at least right now, uh, everything's kind of keeping up in terms of the battery cells, so that's good. Next, we're gonna hear from Tesla CFO, Zach Kirkhorn. Um, as Elon mentioned, 2021 was a financially transformative year for the company. If we look across the full year 21 and compare that to 2020, our automotive gross margin, excluding credits, rose by over 600 basis points, enabled by work on cost reduction, utilization of our Shanghai factory for exports, and accelerating demand. OPEX as a percentage of revenue reduced despite the impact of one-time items and unique items, and operating income more than tripled with operating margin reaching our guidance of mid-teens, and these margins are trending up. We also saw regulatory credits accounting for a relatively small portion of our 2021 profitability, which we expect to continue to reduce um, in materiality going forward. For Q4 specifically, automotive gross margin excluding credits increased to 29.2%, which is our highest yet. We do continue to see some impact of higher pricing on certain models and trims, as was the case in prior quarters. But please keep in mind that due to backlogs, changes in pricing will generally impact our financials in future quarters. Supply chain challenges and port congestion resulted in a significant increase in our expedite costs in Q4. We also took reserves associated with warranty and recall costs. 
Operating expenses were meaningfully impacted by stock-based compensation from the final two tranches of the CEO stock grant becoming probable and payroll taxes associated with the exercise of the 2012 CEO options. The total impact of these payroll taxes, warranty and recall costs, and excess expedites was just over $700 million in the quarter. Our free cash flows have remained strong, reaching record levels in Q4 of $2.8 billion, despite increased capex. In addition to using cash to grow the business as quickly as we can, we have been retiring legacy and high interest debt. Note that we plan to continue to utilize the ABS market for product-specific financing. As we look forward, we expect 2022 to be another significant and exciting year for the company. We continue to drive for vehicle volume growth at or above 50%, as Elon mentioned. And our plans show that this is actually achievable with just our Fremont and Shanghai factories. For quite some time now, these factories have been running below capacity due to macro challenges with supply and logistics. As Elon mentioned as well, from what we're seeing, the pace of growth in 2022 will again be determined by supply chain and logistics, which is quite difficult for us to forecast. Despite these constraints, it's important to begin the ramp of Austin and Berlin to ensure that we are prepared once limitations ease, enabling us to increase total output more quickly in the future. This will result in higher fixed and semi-variable costs in the near term, in addition to the usual inefficiencies as we ramp a new factory. We are also seeing inflation and rising commodity prices, which we expect to continue to put pressure on our costs. How this specifically impacts gross margins in the near term is uncertain, given a mix of both tailwinds and headwinds. However, we do expect to continue to see stronger operating margins as we grow our volumes and improve operating leverage. Over a longer term horizon, we are quite optimistic about the expansion of margins though. From the hardware side, we are aggressively driving manufacturing innovations and operational efficiency to reduce cost. And with the rapid development of FSD, software-based profits will ultimately become a strong addition to the profits generated by selling hardware. So congratulations to the Tesla team for a terrific 2021, and thank you to our suppliers who supported us. Looking forward to another great year. All right, I don't have much to say on the financial side because that's a lot of the part of Tesla that I don't understand because I'm not a finance guy. I'm more of a tech person, but I do realize that we have a lot of Tesla shareholders who listen to the show, so I leave it in. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our retail investor questions. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm going to heavily, heavily edit these questions because in some cases, uh, Elon's already covered them. And in other cases, um, Elon kind of rambles a little bit. So I'm going to try and tighten it up for you. All right, let's go ahead and listen to our first question. Uh, how is the progress of the $25,000 compact car? Can you give an update? Well, I, I, we're, we're not currently working on that $25,000 car. But, but I think that's sort of a question that, it's, it's sort of the wrong question, really. It's the, really the thing that overwhelmingly matters is uh, when is the car autonomous? Um, at, the, at the point at which is autonomous, the cost of transport drops by, I don't know, a factor of four or five. Okay, again, Elon had mentioned this before, and these are questions that are submitted way before this earnings call even started. So no no fault of the person who asked the question because it's a reasonable question. Uh, but Elon really hits uh, the full self-driving really hard in this earnings call. And that's just one example of that. 
Our next question is all about like efficient heating and cooling, which I'm really, as somebody who lives in Arizona, I'm, I'm very into. So let's go ahead and listen to the question and the answer. Uh, the next question from investors is, since we're talking product roadmaps today, how do you view domestic cooling and heating in the context of accelerating the sustainable energy transition? And how might Tesla's HVAC and heat pump um, advances fit it? Talk about that, uh, yeah, I, I think from a mission perspective, it's very aligned. Uh, if you imagine replacing um, natural gas, water, and space heaters with electric heat pumps, it offsets something equivalent to like 80% of what a solar plus power wall system would offset. So it's it's very impactful. Um, and we have learned a lot about how to make uh, capable and reliable heat pumps um, uh, that work in all environmental conditions and uh, are excited about the idea of working on that problem one day, <laughs> let me put it that way. Uh, it's definitely aligned with our uh, mission to transition to sustainable, accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. Yeah, I mean, the, the integration <laughs> of those systems in the house, that's Lars, by the way, but we <laughs> sorry. The integration of those systems in a house are, are, are no different than the integration of those systems in a vehicle. Yeah. The only difference is yeah. we do it all in a vehicle. It's way harder than a vehicle. And then it's, it's, a, it's so constrained on mass and volume and yeah. energy. It's like, you get to the house, you're like, wow. If you have kind of easy problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously those systems are all just disparate. And, and, and what we've been doing with the Powerwall and charging solar is integrating them more and more. Yeah, the yeah. next logical step is obviously HVAC and, and water and heating. So we will do that. Um, and we will integrate it probably better than anyone has. But as you said, we have a lot of stuff on our plate. Yeah. So we, we, we got a lot of fish frying on it. <laughs> so it, it is a thing we will do, but we're not committing to a time frame at this point. And people should do it anyway. Yeah, if, if somebody else wants to do it, yeah, yes, please. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> super beneficial for achieving the goal here. Yeah. All right. Beyond a lot of the things that Tesla's doing that's coming up in the future, this is one of the things that I am most excited about because electricity costs so much money. Even though I have solar panels, we pay a ridiculous amount of electricity in the summertime to cool our house. And then on top of that, it is so hot here. It is so hard for our air conditioners to efficiently cool our house. I need a more efficient solution for sure. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our next question. Uh, and the next question on insurance, when do you plan on having your insurance service rolled out in all the states? International rollout timing in markets that have Tesla insurance, what kind of uptake rates are you seeing? Yeah, um, we're, we currently offer Tesla insurance in five states in the U.S. Uh, four of them are telematics, which is Texas, Illinois, Ohio, and Arizona. Um, and then California, which has a, a more standard insurance offering based upon regulations there. Uh, it should be clear, like we're pushing very hard for California to change the rules to allow uh, informatics, which basically means that, you know, you're, you're as safe as your driving is measured. So, um I think this, the, the current California rules are contrary to the best interests of the consumers in California um, and, and should be changed. Yeah, and that's evidenced by what we're seeing in Texas. Yeah. Where we've been in this market now for about three months. And what we see in the data is uh, the frequency of collision by folks who are, in, who are given a feedback loop on how they are driving is quite a bit lower than the frequency of collision otherwise. Yeah, and we give people direct feedback on whether driving is safe. And if they drive safer, they, their insurance costs less, so they drive safer. <laughs> it's great. It encourages Tesla insurance with informatics and real-time feedback encourages safer driving and rewards it. I mean, monetarily, it's great. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so we see that so far in Texas. Um, take, take rates have been quite strong. Uh, we measure this uh, on the conversion rate from when folks uh, quote to see what their monthly rate would be at the starting point to, to what percentage of them purchase. So we're very encouraged by the interest that we're seeing in Texas. And then we've had enough history in Texas to see what does the loss ratios look like and how do the economics of the program work. And you know we're on the right track there as well. So we're comfortable with what we've seen in Texas to move as quickly as we can to scale this across the US. Uh, specifically on the question about when we will be in all states, you know, this is a slow process because of uh, insurance being regulated at the state level. And so we have to go through each of those processes with each of the departments of insurance at each state. But our internal goal here by the end of the year is to be in enough locations that 80% of our customers within the US uh, could choose to sign up for Tesla insurance if they wanted to. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around that based upon the regulatory processes, but that's our goal. And then as we make more progress rolling out in the states and each incremental state becomes a, a little bit less effort than the prior, that's when we'll turn our attention to, to the Europe market. Uh, we might be able to do that by the end of the year, uh, starting to get work on Europe by the end of the year. We'll, we'll have to see how we progress in the US. I think that's a good update on Tesla insurance. Um, you know, it's not super exciting, but... It sounds like they are kind of plugging along and expecting to add more states and, and eventually different countries as you know they're able to figure this all out with the regulatory stuff, which seems like the biggest holdup. Um, I did skip over two questions. One was about Dojo, and it was basically, is Dojo ready? And the answer is no. And the other one was, would you use Tesla bots or the uh, Optimus? Uh, Tesla bot, would you use that in in your factory? And Elon basically said, well, if I, if I can't find a reason to use it in my factory, then no one's probably going to want to buy it. So yeah, we'll probably use it in the factory. Our next question is about Cybertruck and some of the production challenges or the foreseen production challenges of Cybertruck. And the next question is, uh, what are the biggest obstacles for Cybertruck volume production besides battery shortage? Batteries will probably not be the limiting factor in Cybertruck production. There's a lot of new technology in, in the Cybertruck that will take some time to work through. Um, and then it, there's a question of like, what's the average cost of a Cybertruck and to what degree is that affordable? Uh, you know, there's, there's you, you can make something infinitely desirable, but if if it's not affordable, that will constrain people's ability to buy it because they simply don't have the money. Um, I'd worry more about like how do we make the Cybertruck affordable, despite having all this awesome technology. That's that's the thing that will really set the the rate. Um, you know, aspirationally, we'd like it to, in terms of just a rough order of magnitude, we'd like Cybertruck to be at, you know at least on the order of quarter million vehicles a year. Um, but it'll take us a moment to get to get to that level. So it sounds like the constraint will be the sales price. Like they want to put all this cool technology in the in the truck. Um, but is it going to make the truck too expensive? And will people still be able to afford it? And, you know, based on 
Tesla's uh, strategy of rising, raising prices, or at least history recently of raising prices because of component costs, you know, increasing. Uh, I, I can't imagine that that $40,000 Cybertruck is going to be honored, honestly. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I don't even know if the $50,000 Cybertruck will be something that they decide to sell. They might just decide to sell the, the three motor and the four motor uh, Cybertruck and leave the dual motor out. Uh, people like me out in the cold. Uh, let's see here, 250 cyber truck, 250,000 cyber trucks a year production once they kind of get up and running. Running, so that's seems like that's a pretty decent number for a truck that's so polarizing. Let's go ahead and move on to our next question, which is about level four autonomy. The last question from uh, investors is: Elon mentioned level four autonomy could be achieved this year. Is it based off initial FSD beta rollout experience, or is level four ability predicated on Dojo being complete and online? As mentioned earlier, Dojo is not required for full self-driving. Um, you know, it, it, it should have a positive effect on the cost of training networks. You know, the, the, it's not just a question of like does does you get do you get full self-driving, but really. Kind of like the march of nines of reliability. Is it 99.9999% reliable or 99.99999% reliable? This is gets nutty. So we obviously want to get to as close to perfection as possible. Um, so uh, frankly, being safer than a human is a low standard, um, not a high standard. <laughs> People are very, very lossy, often distracted. Tired, you know, uh, texting. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's remarkable that we don't have more accidents. So, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's so, so actually being better than human, I think, is just relatively straightforward, frankly. Uh, how do you be a thousand percent better? Or, 10,000% better. Uh, yeah, that's that's what, you know, it gets that's much, much harder. Um, but I think anyone who's been in the FSD beta program, I mean, if they were just to plot the progress of the beta in interventions per mile, um, it's obviously trending to you know, a very small number of interventions per mile. And, and, and pace of improvement is fast. Um, and there's, there are several profound improvements to the FSD stack that are coming you know, in the next few months. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I would be shocked if we do not achieve self-driving safer than a human this year i would be shocked i will say based on my very limited experience with the full self-driving beta that it is improving over time and each update is making it better and better i don't know if each update is like a significant upgrade because um, from the first time that i tried sierra and brad's fsd beta um, you know, to the second time that was significant, but the second to the third time wasn't a necessarily a huge jump in terms of, uh, 
of, wow, it's gotten so much better on the third time. But I'm betting that the fourth time that I go back and drive in the fourth update uh, or experience it will be a significant improvement. So yes, it is improving over time. Will it be better than a human by the end of the year? I mean, that's possible. There's some really crappy drivers out there. That's that's entirely possible. So uh, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to say that that's, that that actually seems like the most reasonable thing that Elon said about it. Um, but will we be, you know, full self-driving by the end of the year? I, I don't think so. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, we're about to the halfway point here. So I do want to remind everybody that I am giving away a Rivion uh, thermal cup so it keeps things hot or cold depending on what you want to use it for. 100% uh, free. I pay for the shipping. I pay for the cup, and I send it to you. All you got to do is email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com, and tell me you want the cup. We already have a couple of people who have... Uh, uh, emailed in and told me that they want the cup. So if you want a chance to get a free Rivion cup, go ahead and email me. And one last thing real quick before we get back to the show. If you would like to listen to this show without ads, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com and you can listen to the show without ads. You get your own special Patreon feed and you can listen to the whole show, no ads, and none of the money goes into my own pocket. All of the money goes back into the show to make it better. All right, that's enough of that nonsense. Let's go ahead and listen to the analyst questions. Hi, thanks. Um, and uh, congratulations on a great year. <clears throat> um, Elon, I guess my qu my question's around uh, the mega pack or your energy business. And so as we look at the um, 
strategy or the supply chain constraints that you uh, mentioned, you have two different strategies, or it seems like, with uh, Megapack and Powerwall. And I think the Powerwall was answered with 4680 and the, the uh, 2170 opening up. So I was wondering if you could just talk about um, uh, the supply chain and LFP for the Megapack and what we should expect for that. Uh, yeah, to, <clears throat> to be clear, we, we, we do think that all stationary storage, uh, Powerwall and Megapack, Will be will transition to um, an iron-based system, um, basically a, a non-nickel system. Um, manganese is also, uh, you know, could be part of the future, but primarily iron. Um, it just comes down iron-nickel. <laughs> you, you need something that uh, uh, is is uh, you know formed in a star before a supernova, um, ideally. Uh, so, it, you know, iron. <laughs> Iron is, <laughs> um, so that, that's there's there's a ridiculous amount of iron on Earth. There's also a rid ridiculous amount of lithium. So, um, so you can really expect all stationary storage uh, to transition to uh, iron uh, over time. And uh, like I said, with with manganese is like a wild card. Um, it's also less amount of manganese. Um, so. Uh, and I, I, I should say, like we, we did uh, shortchange the energy business last year, um, in that vehicle took priority over um, the energy side. So uh, not on cells, but on chips. On, yeah, on chips exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, um, we we but, but the, the, we, we we do in, like, see a, a very you know, I mean, long-term, probably terawatt-hour-per-year energy business. Yes. So, a lot. A lot. It's been very vast. You know, I'm really high on Tesla Energy. I think that, um, you know, like Elon and the team says, I think it's a sleeping giant. I think it can be a very big part of their business. Right now, the part of their business that is actually, you know, keeping the lights on happens to be the automotive side, which is a really funny analogy when you consider like they have this great business in Tesla energy, but right now the, the vehicles are what's kind of keeping the company going because that's all they can focus on, even though they're this massive company. And then you look at the legacy automakers and it's kind of the same thing as they have this uh, great uh, opportunity in electric vehicles but the ice cars are what's keeping the lights on and it's really hard to transition away from that. And it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know anything about business, so I don't know if these two things are similar, but from a lay person's point of view, which I am definitely a lay person or a lame person, um, dad joke, so dumb. Uh, anyway, from a lay person's point of view, it, it seems like it's an app comparison. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, they're constrained by chips, obviously, which is a, a thread that we hear throughout the earnings call and pretty much everything that has to do with uh, any sort of manufacturing these days. And then the LFP uh, battery cells, the lithium iron phosphate uh, battery cells, um, I didn't know that they were using LFP batteries in their storage, which, but it makes a lot of sense because the LFP batteries seem to be more more of a robust system like you can charge them all the way up to 100 percent, and you don't get the same battery degradation that you do from the nickel batteries nickel manganese batteries 
they're just not as energy dense, but still pretty cool. Uh, I'm, again, I'm excited about Tesla Energy. Our next question has to do with FSD attach rates. So let's go ahead and listen in. You spoke a lot about FSD um, and how the economics could be very attractive going forward. I'm wondering if you could just share what your current attach rate might be for FSD on your vehicles or how to think about the progress of your attach rate or revenue in FSD, let's say in 21 versus 20, um, and um, how much deferred revenue um, uh, for FSD was drawn down during the year. And I have a follow-up, please. Thank you. You know, I, th I think the FSD stuff, you really don't want to be looking in the rearview mirror. Um, it will not be a good indicator for the future. Um, you, this is what you need to look out the front windscreen. Um, so, uh, because it is such a profound step change. Um, I mean, effectively, long term, every car will have FSD. You know, so, um, and the value of that will be a, a very big number. Um, you know, it, it's like, I mean, just look at this as asset utilization, and you have a passenger car, which normally is driven maybe one and a half hours a, week, a, a day on average, maybe 10, 10 hours, 10, 10, 12 hours a week. A lot, of, a lot of cars in parking lots. You know, so we're spending money not just driving the cars, but storing them all over the place. Um, we can get rid of a lot of parking lots if you have a car that is operating all the time. Um, but there will be a challenge with traffic. Uh, so, you know, we've got like this little tiny baby company, the Warren Company, which I initially saw it as a joke, and, and now... <laughs> but now it's, I think it actually could be quite essential to alleviating the insane traffic that will happen when cars are autonomous because you reduce the pain of, of travel and you reduce the cost of travel so dramatically that there will be a crazy number of cars on the road. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be, I, I think it will be cheaper to go point to point with a, with a, Robotaxi, which is an autonomous Tesla, which every car we've made in the past three or four years will, will be capable of that, uh, than a bus or a, or a subway. It'll cost less than the subsidized value of a bus ticket. So people, aren't going to take, people are not going to take the bus. <laughs> you know, if, if it costs you, I don't know, for argument's sake, you know, two two bucks to travel ten miles point to point. Nobody's taking the bus, especially in cold weather or it's dark or maybe a little bit dangerous or how that you know, door to door. People just do not understand how profound a change this is. It's not it's not like some little feature. It's like the most profound software upgrade maybe in history. Um, millions of cars suddenly have what, four or five times the utility than they used to have overnight. I don't actually know how to 
quantify that financially, except that it's some big number. Okay, I'm going to take Elon's last statement first here. When he says, I don't know how to quantify that, but it's a really big number. What I think the gentleman was asking him is how many people are buying full self-driving? And what he answered was, uh, from my interpretation, right? I'm not going to pretend to know what Elon's thinking here, but from my interpretation, what he basically said was, listen, like there's not enough people who are smart enough to realize that this is a big benefit. It's a big benefit because one, maybe a two car household could go down to a one vehicle household or why would you own a car at all when you can do robo taxi? You know, we can uproot parking lots and, you know, put something useful on them. Hopefully a park or something like that. Um, not just office buildings, but like, he didn't answer this because he's so focused on the full self-driving narrative. And I believe that he, he is being genuine. Like I'm, I don't think he's, he's throwing out nonsense uh, to be, for marketing purposes. I believe Elon is being 100% genuine on this. So he didn't answer because he's so laser focused on it, or he didn't answer because the attach rate is so low and or take rate is so low that you know, the numbers are disappointing, in which case, if that's the case, if the take rate is low, why are, why are we raising the price on this? Because it's, it's getting to a point where full self-driving is a significant portion of the vehicle. Like if you buy the $45,000 Model Y, you're looking at one fourth of the cost of that car is now full self-driving versus if you buy a $160,000 vehicle, well then, you know, it's a much smaller percentage of the vehicles full self-driving. So, um, I don't know if you, if you want to charge more for people who want to put their car on the robo taxi service, because they're going to make money on it. I'm all for that. Charge more. It's a commercial use of that vehicle. Charge people more for that. I think that's great, but some people don't want to put their car on. They just want, they just want their car <laughs> and they don't want to put it onto the robo taxi service. So, maybe give those people a break um, and, and not charge them a bunch of money. Uh, I don't know. I go on and on about this stuff and I know it probably gets boring to you. So I'll move on. I will, I will say one more thing is the boring company is still a little bit away, a ways away. Like there was a lot of kerfuffle at CES and a lot of people found a lot of joy that there was a traffic jam at, in the boring tunnel. I find no joy in that. I want there to be tunnels and I want the boring company to be everything and more of what Elon initially promised us because like a lot of you, I hate traffic and I want this to work smoothly, but it's still a ways away. You, you talked about your product roadmap and, and also your goal to keep growing at, at 50% per year or better. Um, that would put you at 3.2 million vehicles and or more in 2024. Um, and I, I think you made reference to Cybertruck, you know, Maybe being two hundred and fifty thousand vehicles. Um, if if there is no twenty five thousand dollar vehicle being worked on, is it <laughs> really realistic to think that you can sell more than three million vehicles with two very high volume cars and Cybertruck in twenty twenty four? Or how, how do we how do we think about that? Or or what else is missing in that equation? Yeah, I mean, it, it was apparent from the questions that the 
the, gravi the gravity of full self-driving is not um, is not fully appreciated. Um, you know, if, if an asset has five times more utilization than the, it affects. It it's like it's like dividing the cost of that asset by five. So if you have a fifty thousand dollar car, it's like having a ten thousand dollar car. Or if it's sudden, but but maybe better better than that because still you don't need anyone to drive. So the person can be engaged in productivity or amusement instead of having to, you know, onerously drive through traffic. It, I mean, basically, if, if the cost of our cars does not change at all, we would still sell as many as we could possibly make. All right, I'm not going to belabor my last point on this. I just put this in here to, to kind of further illustrate that as Elon is laser focused on this message. Um, but the, the question was, is in 2024, can you produce over 3 million cars? That was the question. And I don't know that that has anything to do with full self-driving. So let's go ahead and jump into our next question. Um, so I wanted to come back on uh, on battery. So it's great to hear on one hand that you, you guys uh, expect to sell like the first uh, cars with 4680 this, this quarter. And, and at the same time that you don't really depend on that ramp to to achieve your, um, uh, what you hope to achieve in terms of significant volume growth um, this year. Uh, and, and the question I had is, you know, I understand well the ramp at 4680 internally, but I'd be curious to hear you talk about how you think about 4680 as being a form factor that your um, suppliers could uh, uh, adopt as well. And how you see in the long run uh, in the greater scheme of things, you know, uh, what does 4680 become? Uh, is it going to be outside of Tesla, the largest form factor for batteries? Is it something that you guys are going to, um, uh, uh, to deploy uh, in all cars, whatever the chemistry, also in, uh, in the mega pack, in, uh, in, in all your energy storage business? And do you expect eventually a lot of other companies to use that form factor as well? Yeah, um, on the 4680 as a form factor, yes, we've engaged with um, a number of our you know, partners, our suppliers uh, um, on, on the form factor, and they're all working on it. Um, and, you know, they look at it the way we look at it as a way to drive fundamental cost efficiencies in production um, and, and also ultimately the design of the cell itself to, to drive the cost down of, of the cell. Um, and um, and so that's that's what's engaged. I mean, we're we're engaged because we think it's a good form factor. They're engaged because they think it's a good form factor, and we're we want people to make it for sure. Um, to the question about should everything be forty six eighty, it doesn't have to be. In the end, it's it's about uh, cost competitiveness, scalability of manufacturing, and when you compare like a iron cell with a nickel cell, for example, like there are some just physics based differences in what happens in certain corner cases that would drive different form factors and we just have to be cognizant of that and design to that so it isn't like the ultimate form factor for all things there's other form factors that could be better for an iron cell for example so yeah, we, we don't use 4680 at all for the iron set base cells no. okay thanks and i have a quick follow-up on um uh, on chips, so you've talked a lot about um, all, all this um, uh, shortage and this supply difficulties. And I was wondering if you could give us some color on, um, you know, like the power chips you need um, uh, for inverters and uh, all, all the, the power systems you're uh, 
you're putting together versus like the more traditional um, uh, logic chips if, if the situation is um, different between the two. And should we understand from the situation today that you're working very hard also at expanding the scope of your suppliers? And should we expect like uh, Tesla to take on board uh, additional suppliers in the, in the near term, uh, especially on the power side? Well, last year was chip hell of many chips. Uh, so silicon carbide inverters were certainly one of them, but uh, um, honestly, it was a lot of annoying, very boring parts. Yeah, it's it, it, a ton of very simple control chips that run of them all, literally, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Ba basic chips to, to control. Voltage references, oscillators, just yeah. like very boring things. Yeah. Exactly, like the little chip that allows you to move your seat back and forth. This <laughs> actually was a big problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think we saw just a lot of companies overorder chips uh, and and they buffer the chips. Um, and so we should see, and we are seeing alleviation in, in that, almost every area. But the output of the vehicle is uh, goes with the. The, the least lucky, um, you know, uh, most, whatever the most problematic item in the entire car is, and there's like at least 10,000 unique parts in the car. <laughs> so, uh, you know, way more than that if you go further up the supply chain. And so it's, it's just which, which one is going to be the least lucky one this time? It's hard to say. Um, yeah. I mean, on a go-forward basis, right, the idea is to continue to drive simplification. So there are fewer unique parts, fewer of them. On the power side in particular, you know, it, it's still like a, an area of like technological development where, you know, the next the next chip can do the same thing with less die area. So like the total fab required to accomplish the function goes down. So So there's still room to grow without needing more fab capacity, but in general, there's a lot more fab capacity coming, so that's like a win-win there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not a long-term thing because there's going to be there's a crazy amount of chip fabs being built, which is great. What I really like about um, these earning calls, especially with Elon, is we learn a lot about you know the problems that they had and how they had to overcome them. And like something silly is the chip that. Uh, it goes in the seat where you can move it forward and back was a big supply constraint. I think that I find that to be um, really interesting. I know that's super nerdy, but I, to me, it's really interesting. I think it's kind of a, a cool insight, and I'm glad that they share that with us. Well, that was our last question of the earnings call. So that is the end of our show. Just a reminder, I am giving away that Rivion cup. All you got to do is email me, or if you just want to chat, email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. I'm also on Twitter at 918digital. Oh, let's see. I think that's it. Thank you all very much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next Friday. 